Hey, Scott. Where's Scott? Hold on one second. Um, you know, people ask me all the time who our elders are, and you're going to be able to meet two of them this morning. This is Scott Smith. Scott's one of our elders, and he's up here singing all the time. And Chuck is going to be sharing here this morning as well. So when you say, well, who are the elders of the church? You know, now you know two, at least two. Scott, okay, and, Ch- and Chuck you'll see in a moment. Um, oh, let me tell you, we are in a series called Seasons. And I want to continue that series this morning. And I want to talk about um, a significant season in most people's lives. At some point, or for most of us, it's a, for a long period of time, um, we go through the season. It's work, okay? Being, being at work. We spend much of our waking moments spending our time and energy with our careers or our jobs. And it's, it's, it's significant. I mean, how much time and energy we spend there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And Chuck's going to share this in more detail, but I'm going to lay out kind of a foundation. Work came before the fall. All right? It's important for us to theologically understand And when we work, when we go to work to the glory of God, we worship him. It is when you go to work, you are worshiping God if you do it to his glory. The problem is Plato and the Greeks basically twisted um, and negatively, if you will, impacted that biblical perspective with their idea of dualism. Now, I'll explain it very quickly. The Greeks believed that there were two worlds, the seen and the unseen, The spiritual and the natural. Dualism also applied to people. So it was applied to human beings. A person's soul belongs to the spiritual. Okay, so your soul belongs to the spiritual, but your body belongs to the natural. All right, so they're separated separated out. So the question is, how does that play out in our lives? They believe that the the only work associated that, uh, with a man's spirit, only work that was associated with a man's spirit was significant, okay? So if, it didn't, if you worked and it didn't apply to your spirit, it wasn't significant. Now, here's how that looks in the world today. I am a pastor, okay? So obviously, I live in the spiritual world, so my work is significant. The rest of you bums, okay, we're... <laughs> We're going to work on Monday morning. Well, I'm sorry. You are that you're, you're, you don't, you're not in the spiritual realm. You don't really serve in the spiritual realm. So your work is completely insignificant. It's secular. Whatever else you have, this secular sacred divide. All right? That's how it plays out in the world, which is not a biblical worldview. As Chuck's going to explain in greater detail, a biblical worldview says things are either sacred or they're sinful. So if something's not sinful, then it's... Right. Say it again. If it's not sinful, it's exactly. Okay. That's a, that is a biblical worldview. God created everything. Satan created nothing. So God created it all and said it was good. We have the fall. So Satan created nothing. Satan only corrupts what God has created. So in Colossians chapter three and verse 23, it says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, Pastor, working at GE, whatever you do, okay, work at it with all of your heart as working unto the Lord and not unto men. So whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working unto the Lord and not unto men. Now, 
one of our other elders, Chuck Prophet, is going to come up and show you how this season of life honestly can, can, can be one of the most spiritually significant and, and rewarding of our entire lives. And as Chuck comes up, I just want to say, honestly, as the senior pastor of the church, it's, it's guys like Chuck and, 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 and other, the other elders that we have. It's one of the reasons our church is so healthy, because they are engaged in the church. They don't just sit in their ivory towers and make decisions and, you know, pour down edicts and things like that. They are actually engaged in the ministry of the church and making an impact on this church and around the country. So, Chuck, thanks so much for coming and sharing. I appreciate it. Good morning. I don't have an ivory tower. <laughs> I like to think of myself when it comes to my work as a marketplace missionary, cleverly disguised as a business consultant and a nonprofit leader. Over the years, as somebody who came to Christ as an adult, I have learned how hard it is, but how significant it is to integrate faith with work. And this morning, my goal is to share some war stories with you from the trenches, things that I have learned through trial and error, experiences I've had, and hopefully, as I share some of these, that they will relate to you and there will be some things that you can take away for your work life on Monday morning. Before we begin, let me lift up a prayer. Father, thank you so much that we're here on Sunday talking about Monday to recognize that our faith should inform all of our lives, including our lives at work. And I recognize, Father, as... We've all gathered here this morning. We come from a lot of different workplaces and a lot of different work conditions. Some of us may be here loving our work and some may be here hating our work and some may be here without any work. Lord, I just pray that you would meet every single person spiritually, whatever their situation at work, so that they can sense your presence, find opportunity through you, and go after it with the conviction and the encouragement that you're right by their side every step of the way at work. We lift up these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Perhaps unlike many of you, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a very scenic but secular household in Boulder, Colorado. This is a photo of me and my sister. I was seven in this picture. She was four. Uh, we were actually in Europe at the time. But I spent a lot of time outdoors, and that was just part of my life. We were in what today I would describe as God's creation, but God wasn't a topic of conversation in my family when I was growing up. So it wasn't until I got to college years later at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the other end of the country, that suddenly I started walking into this thing we call faith or religion or spirituality. Harvard was an incredibly cosmopolitan place, and I met people there from all the faith traditions of the world. They were Christians in some cases, but also Buddhists and atheists and agnostics and Baha'i, you name it. And as I got to know them and spend time with them, they would share what today I describe as their faith testimonies with me. Now, I didn't have a term for that. I was just learning about their lives. I was fascinated because... So many of these people had found God's truth. Their truths were contradictory, and truth doesn't contradict itself. I was intrigued by that. I was curious to look into that or study it. But honestly, it was on the back burner of my life, because what was on the front burner was my emerging career. So I graduate, and I get a job at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's what brought me out here 
years ago in 1987. Much to the horror of my parents, two English professors who had taken out a second mortgage on their house to send their son to Harvard. They had visions of me going into academia, and instead I moved back to the Midwest, which they had left. I moved into greedy corporate America, and I land at Procter & Gamble, and the company promptly assigns me to work in toilet paper. And I kid you not, about a week after I started my job, my mother calls me, who's always been pretty direct and not all that tactful, and she said, Chucky, you're flushing your career down the toilet. (laughs) I have to confess that about six months into my job, I started wondering if, in fact, that is what I had done. My first week, I was assigned to a SWAT team for White Cloud Toilet Paper. That was short for Sell White Cloud at $2 a four-roll. And my job for six months was to explore how we could charge more money for a toilet paper that was softer and thicker than anybody wanted to pay for. At the end of six months, it became evident that we were not going to be able to raise the prices further. And so we did what many companies do, which is to take what's called a sheet count reduction. There's nothing illegal or unethical about doing this, but if you're a consumer, it can be frustrating. It's like some of you this afternoon, you may go home and open up a bag of chips, right? And it looks really full, and you open it up, and two-thirds is air, and the bottom third is the chips. Well, that's that became my job with toilet paper. So I worked with manufacturing plants across the country, We took 30 sheets off of each roll. We wound the rolls more loosely so the diameter was the same as before the sheet count reduction. Then we took a tiny increase in the thickness or the basis weight of the paper. My job then was to market this as new and improved. New because it had 30 fewer sheets and improved because it was thicker. Needless to say, I was less than inspired. In fact, I have to be honest with you, I had a midlife crisis at 22. I was just six months out of school. I had all these dreams and aspirations for my new career, and now I was experiencing what a career can really be like. I was working at general offices in downtown Cincinnati, and I walked home along Columbia Parkway to my bachelor pad up in Mount Adams, 1031 Celestial Street, close to the Blind Lemon. And I was tempted to go there that night, but I didn't. Instead, I went out on the deck of the little house I was renting, and I was looking out over the Cincinnati skyline. And unlike Colorado's clear creeks and streams, I'm looking down at the Ohio River, which was like this mass of mud, slowly moving downhill. And I thought to myself, in a fit of peak and depression, this is my work life. I'm like going to spend decades at work, and I may be miserable. And I realized in that moment that I had grown up living a storyline that nobody had ever officially taught me, but I'd caught it. That as we grow up, we go to school and we get good grades so we can get a good job, make lots of money, retire comfortably, and die with a lot of toys to pass on. And I was at the part where I had gone to a really good school, and I got really good grades, and I got a really good job, I was making really good money, and I was really miserable, and I had no idea what to do with that. And in that moment of desperation, a still, small voice said to me, as I'm sitting on the deck, Chuck, you need to figure out what fulfillment looks like for you at work, because you're going to be spending decades working. And while you're at it, why don't you figure out the spiritual side of your life, because it might have something to say 
about the kind of work that you should do. Now, at the time, this was just a conversation with me, myself, and I. But I can look back on it now and I realize this was the Holy Spirit tapping on my heart. I spent the next 10 years researching world religion and philosophy. I went back to all the original source material. I read the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the Dhammapada, the Torah, the New Testament. I dove into philosophy, the Analects of Confucius, the Dialogues of Plato. In November of 1996, 10 years after starting this, I came to Christ at age 31. So in 1997, my first full year as a new believer, I am passionate to put God at the center of my life and integrate my faith into every aspect of my life, and I start getting really involved going to church, and I'm absolutely stunned by the discrepancy between the early church that I'd read about in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, and the way that we do church today. See, in the New Testament, the apostles came from the marketplace. They were everyday people like so many of you. They operated out of the day-to-day work world. And God moved supernaturally through them at work. In fact, in the book of Acts, 39 of the 40 supernatural acts took place in the marketplace. The only one that didn't was Peter healing a crippled person at the gate beautiful at the temple. In contrast, I start getting very involved going to church, and I'm stunned to discover that work life, where most of us spend most of our waking hours, is rarely represented when it comes to ministry programming. Think about it for a second. We've got marriage ministry, youth ministry, recovery ministry. Uh, These are all great ministries and many more. But what about work life? What about 9 a.m. to 5 p.m.? What about the place where most of the people in the pews spend most of their waking hours? Work. And this thought entered my mind. It was this nudge. It was this feeling that would not go away. Today I would describe it as a calling, but I did not have a word for that. I don't have a seminary degree, and I'm not yet ordained. And I'm feeling that I've got to figure out what it looks like to integrate faith and work. And I'd like to be able to help other working Christians to do the same. I decided to do something I'd spent a lot of time doing while I was at Harvard, which was a research project. And over the next couple years, I interviewed hundreds of what I called everyday working Christians from all over the country. Some of these were people new to work. Some were close to retirement. They were from the public, private, social sectors, all kinds of different industries, employers, jobs. What was so interesting, though, as I started to learn more, I discovered that there were five overarching spiritual struggles that we all face at work. And I want to share these with you because I think as we walk through these over the course of this morning, you're going to really come to appreciate how they can relate to your life. Now, by way of walking us into this, I would tell you that while I learned a lot from this research project, I've made a lot of mistakes over the years. In fact, I I got a call from Grace Chapel this week saying, what do we call this talk? And I said, I'd like to call it Confessions of a Marketplace Missionary because I will confess to you that there have been many times when I've been ignorant of spiritual opportunities right in front of me at work, and I just missed it. I didn't have the spiritual eyes to see them or the ears to hear them. I have been intimidated. There have been times when I knew that I was supposed to say something, but I was afraid. And there have been times when I saw an opportunity, but I didn't know how to grab it or what to do with it. I was spiritually inept. 
And this morning, my hope is, as I kind of walk through these three areas that I can bring to life some real practical tools that you can use when you go to work on Monday morning. Let's look at this first one, which is ignorance. Just uh, being unaware of how we can not see or hear spiritual opportunities right in front of us at work. As I uh, started to learn more about what it looks like to be a working Christian who fully integrates faith and work, I started to discover that there's an ongoing tension that we live inside what we call the church, and we often don't even realize it. At the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, at the time that Christian theology was being formed and Judeo-Christian tradition was being built and bridged, everyone in that time understood because they had this worldview that in our lives, whether we're at work or at home or on vacation, it doesn't matter. Our thoughts and our actions are either bringing us towards God's will, which is good, or away from God's will, which is bad. There was no separation of faith and work. However, like Pastor Jeff was saying a minute ago, several hundred years before Jesus was born in Greece, philosophers like Plato were bringing forward a different kind of worldview. It goes by the name dualism. It's the idea of separating out the sacred and the secular. The sacred things of the world were the spiritual rather than the natural. They were typically transcendent and immaterial. They were important. In fact, they were of ultimate importance. But they were out of reach for most everyday people. And then there was the secular side of life, which is just everyday stuff. Getting up in the morning, taking a shower, driving to work, buying groceries, whatever that was. And those two things were to be separated apart. These are radically different worldviews. And the hard truth is that this sacred, secular divide is so ingrained in us as Christians that we go to work, typically, on a subconscious level, separating out our faith from our work. And it's not just us as everyday working Christians who wrestle with this. It's the church itself. In 325 AD, at the Council of Nicaea, this is when the Roman Empire under Constantine officially adopted Christianity as the religion of the state. And at that time, the emperor made a decision to separate out or distinguish between the clergy and the laity. So the clergy were the spiritual people who were to pursue the deeper, higher insights and understanding of life. And the laity were the everyday people like us whose job was to create financial resourcing to support the clergy. And as the centuries have passed, that distinction has just grown more and more entrenched. And the ultimate irony, it is not biblical theology, it is philosophy. And yet it permeates us both in the local church side and the everyday working Christian side. The big thing here, the takeaway for all of you, is to be conscious of the fact that, as Pastor Jeff loves to say, anything that isn't sinful is sacred. There is no secular. That we need to embrace work as a form of worship, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So ignorance, being ignorant of these dynamics that are under the surface, but they affect all of us. The second area that I gave you as a confession is intimidation, just being intimidated. You know, it's not hard to realize how hard it is to express faith at work. I remember back in my P&G days, I had a friend of mine, while I was sort of just starting to explore spiritually, he had come to Christ, and he was a passionate new believer. And back in those days, inboxes weren't like the email variety. These were like physical inboxes. They were boxes, boxes. And so he took Bible tracts, and he put one in each inbox all across the fourth floor of general offices. And my friend vanished 
And about a week after he did, I went to HR and I said, where's my friend? And they said, well, we fired him. He was proselytizing at work and that violates company policy. And I would wager that many of you have experienced that dynamic too. It's interesting that the early church was also dealing with this. If we stop and think about it, the the church started out with 120 believers in an upper room. How did they grow to become half the adult population of the Roman Empire within 350 years? How did that happen? Well, in Scripture, it says it's because they earned the favor of the people. And just briefly, to help you recognize how they did it and how you can start to do it, if you go to Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is sending out the 70 disciples in work teams of two to go to surrounding towns and villages and share the good news of Christ, he gives a four-step process. It's really a prescription for earning the favor of the people by integrating faith and work in a very strategic way. Our job is first, as we go to work, to bless people, to just give a warm greeting, to be friendly. Second, to fellowship with them. If they respond and they return the warmth, we should hang out with them, get to know them, take them out to lunch, whatever. The third step is to minister to felt needs. It doesn't have to be something they're struggling with at work. It might be something at home, but you learn about it at work. When we come alongside them and we help them, we bring a solution to their problem, They become grateful, and we earn the credibility to speak. And when they ask, then we can proclaim Christ as the reason for our motivation. To bless, to fellowship, to minister, to proclaim. This is a way, a practical way, one step at a time, to earn the favor of the people around us at work and navigate around the things that intimidate us. That brings us to this third area of confession, right? Ignorance, intimidation, and now the ill-equipped part. This is where this research project comes into play. I want to talk about these five struggles and the spiritual solutions that go with them from the research that I did. The first one, which we've touched on, is the struggle of sacred versus secular. Will we view work as one aspect of an integrated life of faith or a separate space where God is not present? The solution here is to embrace work as worship, just like we've talked about this morning. Some of you may not know this, but in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word avodah means both work and worship synonymously to the Hebrew people and to Jesus and to the disciples who became the apostles. And for the early church, work was intrinsically worship. There was absolutely no dichotomy. There was absolutely no separation. So we need to accept the premise that work is a form of worship. The second struggle is calling versus career. Will we pursue the vocation for which God has created us or settle for the career that the world tells us is better? I sometimes think of Tim Tebow in this regard. This is a guy who is naturally so charismatic and, you know, in his career, he's had a lot of jobs and he's probably going to have a lot more, right? He's been in football and baseball and who knows where his career will take him. But non-believers have a hard time dealing with Tim Tebow because he is contagiously Christian. And they don't know what to do with that. See, Tim Tebow understands that he is pursuing his calling at work. He's going to have many different jobs, but his calling is to serve others to God's glory at work. Wherever he's placed, whatever job he has. So we have to identify God's purpose for our work, and it always revolves around service to the people around us. You may have a position description with a set of tasks that you get done every week, but it's the people with whom you interact 
that become the ministry opportunities you can start to pursue. The third struggle is righteousness versus compromise. Will we uphold God's standards of conduct at work or succumb to the standards of the work world? Great current example of this, because I love cars, is Volkswagen. I was just reading in Car and Driver that they're about to settle globally for their diesel emissions scandal. Some of you may have heard about this, that several years ago they were caught cheating on their emissions. So the software in the VW diesel engines would say that they were passing all of the, the tests, but in reality they weren't. This was not an accident. The, the Germans are meticulous engineers. This happened intentionally. And it worked its way all the way through engineering and through the leadership of VW and ultimately involved some of the suppliers as well. And so now, Volkswagen is about to pay out $25 billion globally in reparations for lying. When I look at the brand of VW, though, I know that their cost is far greater than that because VW is a brand that's supposed to stand for transparency, simplicity, authenticity, they lost so much of their brand equity because they compromised. And I would wager that you see ethical issues like that all the time where you work. The solution here is to follow principles biblically while we work. And our difficulty is that so few of us as working Christians are familiar with biblical principles, much less how we apply them at work. See, for VW, they should have understand the principle that says, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Here's another struggle, growth versus stagnation. Will we view work as one of the most important arenas for spiritual formation or just a place to get a paycheck? Stacy Dose is here in our congregation, and years ago I hired him as a videographer to come with me to northern Kentucky. There is a 53-year-old business executive who is six weeks from death of bladder cancer. When we got to his house to make this testimonial video, he was in so much pain that he couldn't stand or sit. So he's squatting in front of a sofa, talking about how he'd gone to church all his life, but it was actually a set of Christian marketplace leaders who came around him in the work world who led him to the Lord so that he understood the idea of a relationship with Christ and surrendering his life. And as a result of this, in this video testimony, he's basically saying, I'm not afraid of death. I understand that the purpose of the business I lead has not been to make money. It's to make a difference in the community. And we were watching him share in this video, and it was a life transformed because we were able to build into him through the workplace. What this looks like is intentional development. Think about a Paul and a Timothy. We talk about that a lot, right? A Paul disciples a Timothy who eventually becomes a Paul and disciples another Timothy. What does that look like for you at work? Do you even know the other people around you at work who might be believers? Maybe somebody that you can build into or somebody else who can build into you. What does it look like for us to reach out to the non-believers and earn their favor because of the way that we serve them? Always to God's glory. The last struggle, stewardship versus ownership. Will we view the resources of the work world as belonging to God for his purposes or belonging to us for ours? We're closing in on April 15th, right? I've got a business consultancy at this point. I'm going to be paying taxes to the government because the IRS says that I own the business. The reality is I steward it. 
Because I know in Scripture that it says everything under the sun belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills are the Lord's. I will tell you, owners and stewards make very different decisions. For example, I think about the people right here on our campus in this congregation who have started up businesses, faith-based entrepreneurial ventures. Did you know that in 2017, we were able to release $80,000 in profits out to the least of these? This was ministry funding on a sustaining basis that's going out to widows and orphans. Now, if you were a typical entrepreneur and you made that kind of money, you wouldn't extend it out like that. You would keep it for yourself. That's the difference between an owner and a steward. What we've done with the At Work on Purpose ministry is to gather these choices, these struggles and solutions together into what we call the choices profile. It's the profile of a faith-active working Christian. What it looks like every day when you go to work to choose sacred over secular, to choose calling over career, to choose righteousness over compromise, to choose growth over stagnation, to choose stewardship over ownership. I know that when just one working Christian starts to work that way, it has a significant difference in the place where we work. But just dream with me for a day. What would it be like if a day ever came when all 350,000 working Christians in greater Cincinnati integrated faith and work? It wouldn't just transform the workplace in Cincinnati. It would transform the city of Cincinnati. This is our big picture opportunity. So I finish up here. I just want to encourage you, as you read the Bible going forward, remember to put on the lens of work life. If you stop and think about it, time and again, these climactic moments of biblical history took place in the work world. Things like, David and Goliath, or Daniel in the lion's den, um, Esther as a first lady, Joseph in captivity. I mean, I could go on and on, but in all these cases, these people were at work. And Scripture speaks to this over and over again. Think about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. We will only accomplish that when we include work. What about Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's handiwork? created to do good works which have been prepared in advance for us to do. Where do you think most of those good works are? This is not a trick question. They are at work. Most of our good works are waiting for us at work. What about Colossians 3.23-24, which Pastor Jeff was referencing earlier? To do our work as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that we will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. In other words, we'll have many employers over the course of a career, but we always have one boss. That's God. And we need to work for an audience of one. What about Romans 8.28? That even on the hardest, loneliest days that you face at work, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You have been called according to a purpose at work, and God is waiting for you to claim it and to pursue it. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, you can ask me. Um, I'm going to close out here. I want to have Brian Pierce come up because I want to show you um, an example of how, as we've discussed this over the years, um, 
how it's impacting our church, um, how it's specifically impacting the church. So, Brian, why don't you sit down? Um, I'm going to ask Brian a couple of questions. But uh, as we've talked about this, we've seen how God has truly uh, moved here in Grace Chapel. Like, you'll sit here this, this morning, and I know some of your minds are going. All right. You know, how can I how can I be engaged? How can I be involved? And and something's happened over the last 18 years at Grace Chapel. When we talk about marketplace ministry, you, you'll you'll read about you'll hear about articles. will say bring in bringing your Sunday faith to Monday work. OK, Sunday to Monday. What's happened here with us is we not only have a Sunday Monday language and now we have a Monday to Sunday language. And what I mean by that is. We've taken this so far that people within the congregation have said, wait a second, I I can take my faith to work, but I'm going to bring my work, if you will, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, what God has called me to do and gifted me to do, and I'm going to engage it back within the body of Christ to impact the world. And I want Brian to come up and kind of, he's one one example. Chuck was saying we give about $80-something thousand away last year through our business trees in this campus. But I want, uh, wanted Brian to come up here and share um, something that he has started uh, and give you an example of what we're talking about. So, Brian, tell us um, about the business. You know, describe what it is. Um, describe how you're doing in the business so far and then why you started the business. All right. Uh, we have a uh, fertilization weed control business. It's called Green Hope. And uh, so we just started that last year. So this is our second year in business, um, and then uh, why we thought why we why we started this business, um, and I really haven't been able to come up with an answer exactly why we started it, but really just why not, yeah. you know? Um, so um, what is it actually? We, what is it? What is it helping? Like when you so we we are um, financially we're giving to back to back with trauma care. Mm-hmm. So uh, helping uh, not just globally but locally uh, mm-hmm. organizations around here with with that, and then um, we also try to uh, minister locally. So uh, within our business, um, we have one amazing employee, Pete Coles, <laughs> which he goes to church here. So if you guys don't know him, but uh, we do. Yeah. So we. We we try to locally um, invest in, in and uh, he's a part of the youth group here, so we make sure that his schedule fits around the youth group schedule, yep. and uh, we make sure he's um, participating and being able to go to uh, mission trips and uh, retreats and all that type stuff as well. So tell us what the like what do you do first, and so people understand where this is coming from, and then what does Green Hope do? Okay, so um, we've actually been in business for 15 years. Uh, I started uh, cutting grass out of high school. And uh, so as uh, the business has evolved, um, I actually uh, fell away from the church at a time. And uh, um, I I believe that God then uh, used that to bring me to Grace Chapel um, so I could see what it meant to truly um, integrate my faith with my business yep. and and not just do the Sunday and 
and then go to work on Monday. But So Pierce's landscape, that's exploded. I mean, yeah. to the point where you're doing mostly just um, not residential. But yeah, it's all commercial. It's all commercial. Yep, yep. And then uh, so uh, Adam Wyman with Elements Pro is uh, doing all the residential side of Right. Uh, so you broke up the residential side. Adam's taking that part yeah. of our congregation as well. And then, so why would you start the Green? So, so, so Green Hope is uh, more or less like a, a true green chem line company. That's mm-hmm. all we do is fertilization, and we control. Um, so we're taking uh, the part of our market and using it um, solely to to as a business tree to glorify God. That's awesome. That's awesome. Like you don't have enough to do, right? In your own, jo- and you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, because I, I want to point this out, these guys are extremely busy. But and we're talking about trauma confident care for uh, orphans within back to back ministries. I mean, these kids have been through terrible trauma. And so what we do is we have counselors to come around them, social workers who invest in their lives. We have to pay these social workers. You have to pay these counselors. This is it, it, it takes a lot of resources. So Brian's heart was to start a business so that would then help fund those workers who could then invest in the lives of those children. That's, that's a, I mean, I, I wanted to bring you up here and, and let people see that because I really appreciate the heart that go beyond. I mean, it's so easy to say, hey, I'm just too busy for this. I'll give, a, you know, I'll do my business. I'll tie to the church. You do your thing. But to be able to start another company, another business on the side, if you will, that generates income to impact the lives of children, that's exactly, I wanted him to come up here because that's exactly what Chuck has been talking about, we've been talking about. And we have a lot of examples of that, um, but I wanted to kind of point one out this morning. So or any other thing, anything else you want to say? Like give a plug for, hey, if you want your, you want fertile, I'll say it, you want fertilization or weed, whatever, here's your guy. It's like rod fishing, right? Recycling your dollars, keep it within the family, if you will. I mean, honestly, and that way, you know where that money's going. So when he's fertilizing your lawn, you know the money's coming back and we're impacting the lives of children. So I don't mind giving you a plug. I don't do this, you know, as a, as a regular thing, but I really appreciate what God, how God has impacted your life how you then have impacted the lives of so many people within this church and now outside of the church. So I really appreciate it. Can I, can I say one more? Yeah, please. Um, if you guys haven't heard of At Work on Purpose or haven't been uh, gone to anything, uh, get involved. Uh, you guys have amazing resource right here within the church. So if you haven't been to anything or been involved with it, do. Because uh, it, it Getting involved with Chuck has changed my look on business and has helped me through a lot of this stuff. That's awesome. So he won't give himself a plug, but he'll give you one. That's, <laughs> a, that, <laughs> that's awesome. Let me <laughs> uh, let me let me close this in a word of prayer. Uh, God, thank you so much for this awesome, awesome day. And God, my heart just soars seeing not just theory. I mean, it's great to have theory, you know, faith, work, economics, and how we talk about that now as getting real popular and books. And, and that's cool. I'm, I'm happy about that, Lord. But I'm really excited about what I'm really passionate about, what I'm really motivated by is the fact that we're living it out. I mean, this is reality. We're actually applying this to our lives, and we're seeing lives transform. So, God, thank you for a church that not only talks, but lives out its faith, truly sacrifices for the needs of others. 
So, Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. Lord God, we give it all to you for everything you've done, everything you're doing, and everything you're going to do in the future to use us to impact your kingdom for good in the workplace. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray it. Amen. Have a great week. Good job.